you would go on a road trip and mom or dad had those big old fold-out maps in the car. Y'all remember those good old days? And, and you're sitting there wrestling with that map and you're trying to drive down the road and it's like, where is this? At? I don't know. I can't find it on the map and things like that. And then, of course, if you went to the big city, you had to flip over the map to find the city part of the map, you know. So that was really, really crazy back then. I, I remember that before we go on road trips, my dad would be at home with his, he had a big Rand McNally book. Y'all remember the Rand McNally map system? And then he would be going through his Rand McNally uh, map system to plan out our trip. Now later he got a little bit of a pocket guide. <clears throat> I'm not sure if that was much easier, but um, you know, he got that. And, and of course I was really excited when GPS finally hit the consumer market. Y'all remember when GPS came out. And um, I actually got me one of those little Garmin things. And um, I remember the first time I had in the car, my dad was with me. He's like, what is that? You know, and he was just so enamored with it. And I, I told you this, I downloaded, I can't do it on my phone, I don't know why, but on the particular GPS I had, you had different voices, so I downloaded Bubba. And I loved Bubba, because Bubba would be like, y'all to turn here. He'd say things like that, or you missed that one, you better go back. You know, he had all sorts of funny sayings, so people loved to ride in the car with me and listen to Bubba. I love my GPS. Uh, how many of y'all have GPSs? A lot of you got GPSs. I love my GPS. If you don't, you have a Garmin. All right. Yeah, I thought those were almost extinct now with our phones. But yeah, they're still out there. My dad does too. And, and um, I love my GPS. I tend to drive around a lot during the week. As some of y'all know, I kind of have a third job. Uh, I've been doing this for years, putting in life alert systems and, and, uh, for folks. And so uh, occasionally once or twice a week they call me and ask me if I can do it. So I rely heavily on my GPS because a lot of times I'm going into areas of India I've never been in before. Uh, and and uh, so I rely heavily on that GPS. And I love my GPS. Now, have you ever had the experience, though, of being lost? Have you ever had that experience, okay? Yeah, back, you know. And, and I know uh, wives have that a lot of times. How many times, ladies, have you had your husband say, I know where I'm going? <clears throat> and then you end up lost anyways. Well, it was supposed to be here, like they moved the whole city there or whatever. But, you know, men don't like to admit uh, when they make mistakes, you know. And being lost is no fun. I mean, you're like, where are we at? We got to be, especially got to be somewhere. It's really not good if you're in a bad section of town either, and it's nighttime and you get lost. Uh, I remember when uh, my in-laws went down to New Orleans when I graduated um, from seminary, uh, they got lost in the French Quarter about 10 o'clock at night. Now, if you've been in New Orleans, you don't want to be lost in the French Quarter section of New Orleans where Bourbon Street and all that is at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, so there's just some places it's just not good. And, uh, but I like just being, I don't like being lost, period, right? I mean, it's just, I don't like being lost. And, and so I love my GPS. I love to be able to navigate the streets. But there's more than just physical streets, right? In life, we've got to know how to navigate the streets, all right? Uh, again, out there, you know, who do, who do you talk to on the street? Who do, you, who do you ask questions of? How do you know when to speak and when to be quiet and things like that? And successfully navigating life, not just roads, successfully navigating life means that we have to make the right decisions. We have to make wise decisions. We have to choose the best career paths. And, and again, there's all sorts of choices that we make as we navigate through life that's going to lead us to a destination, and I would, I would imagine that all of us, if we were all sit down and talk, 
together one-on-one, we would all have stories of where we made bad navigational decisions in life, right? Where we look back and we really didn't make the right decisions in life and so we ended up lost maybe financially. Some of us know what that's like. Or maybe you didn't make the best educational decision. Uh, honestly, I, looking back, I wish I had not pursued a degree in music in college. Uh, you know, I wish I had maybe pursued something else back then because it's hard to make money uh, that way. And so we look back in life and sometimes we wish we had pursued different paths and things like that. Maybe you made a different career choice that now looking back, you're like, ah, I didn't really make that on the best uh, foundational footing and things like that. And so I think all of us in life can probably look back and say, yeah, there were times when I lost my, my way. Because, uh, you know, wouldn't it be great if life just came with, you know, a set of instructions? I've heard parents say this. If you're a parent, you probably say that. I wish my kid would, came with a set of instructions, you know? Like when they're born, a, a booklet came along with the kid, you know, how, how, to, how to handle this kid. All right, but we don't get that. And the same is with life. You know, we're, I know we're a lot of times say, I wish God would tell me who to marry, what career choice I was going to make, how to invest, and things like that. I wish God would just tell me to do that. Well, again, if God sent you a letter, you probably wouldn't believe it was from God anyways. Okay, and, and so, and let's just be honest, all of us are rebellious, so we'd probably be like, yeah, well, maybe God said that, but I think I'm going to do better. So again, we all look through life and we realize that there were times in life when we navigated the wrong way and we were quite frankly lost. So here's the question. How do we navigate life? How do we navigate life so as to inflict the least amount of pain on us? How do we navigate life so that we are a person that people look up to? We were talking this morning in Sunday school. Uh, Rob started off the class asking, who are your heroes? And Laura and I thought of a couple people. Now, he gave us a specific time frame. We were both thinking outside the time frame. But I remember in, in our last church, Dr. Jack Blackwell was one of my heroes. He was one of those gentlemen. He was in his uh, late 70s at that point. That when we had deacons meetings and when Dr. Blackwell spoke, everybody listened. It was like E.F. Hutton. He didn't say much, but when he said it, Everybody got quiet. And Dr. Blackwell was a man of immense, immense wisdom. And I'll never forget, before he went into uh, have a surgery and being a medical doctor, he knew what he was facing and he knew um, that there was a good chance he wouldn't survive the surgery and ultimately he didn't. But I remember him on Sunday morning, he said, now Jim, don't go down there to Birmingham. He said, look, it's a win-win either way. If I don't make it, then I go to heaven. I wake up in heaven. If I do make it, then I'm here with more time with my family. But he was just that kind of a guy. And he just was one of those people that I always look to uh, in life because I was like, here's a guy who's navigated life. He's a man who just seems to have so much wisdom. And I think all of us want to be that way, right? We want our kids to look at us. We want our friends to say, wow, you know, I, 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 this is a person I can look up to. All of us want to be that kind of person that we would look at and say, wow, that person really knows how to navigate life. So today, we're going to start a new series. And I've never actually preached the Psalms per se, as a series. And in my quiet time, uh, I've been reading a lot of the Psalms, and it just, as we wrapped up our last series on In the Beginning, as we, 
as I was praying about what to go, this just really hit me. And I, I thought, you know, I love the Psalms because they're talking about real life. They're raw, okay? They're talking about dealing with enemies. They're talking about injustice in the world. They're talking about failure. And I love the Psalms because they're just life that's raw. So today, we're going to start this series in the book of Psalms. Now, Annika asked me, how long are you going to be in this series? I said, well, there's 150 of them. So in the year 2022, I expect to wrap up if we take one a week. I'm joking. All right, we won't be in the Psalms that long. But there's some great things in the book of Psalms. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalms. And we're just going to start in the very first Psalm because I think it lays the chapter for this huge collection of these Psalms that were written by various authors over a, a period of many, many years. But I think the Psalms really can help us unpack how do we navigate life and how do we deal with injustice and how do we deal with those enemies and how do we deal with the pain of life and how do we just navigate life. And I think the book of Psalms is going to unpack that. So we're going to start Psalm chapter 1. I'm just going to read it. It's a very short short Psalm and then we're going to dive in. So here it is. Psalm 1 verse 1. How happy is the man or woman who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So, when you look at the Psalms, verse 6 right here, there are two different paths, two different navigations going on here. You have the, the way of the righteous and you have the way of the wicked. Now, here's the thing I know about my GPS. When I get in the car, just like I did yesterday, I had to go to a place I've never been on a west side of Indy. I sit there and I program in the address of where I want to go. All right, so I predetermine my destination. You could say I was predestined to arrive at that address. I put in the address and then I tell my GPS to tell me how to get there. So every day, you and I predetermine how we're going to navigate that day, every day. When we wake up in the morning, we've predetermined how we're going to navigate. So how do I navigate the day so that I have the right destination at the end of the day? Because again, how do I, how do I make sure that I'm walking in that the right direction? Well, it all comes down to your foundation. You and I predetermine where we're going to do that day, what we're going to think about, where we're going to go based on the foundation that we have in our life. Your foundation will determine your financial decisions. Your foundation will determine how you use your time. Your foundation will determine your relationships that you keep. Your foundation will determine uh, your relationship with God and how's that going to work. So every day you and I predetermine how we're going to go through that day, and it's all built upon our foundation. So you got two paths. you got the way of the righteous who predetermine that, and you got the way of the wicked, and they predetermine that. So we've got to figure out, okay, Jim, what is that foundation then that I've got to use to navigate through my 
life. And you got to make sure it's the right foundation. Because here's the deal. If I found a map from 1860 of Indianapolis and tried to find Warren Township, I don't think you would have found it. Right? It would have been a map of Indianapolis, but from 1860. All right, the map would have been the wrong foundation, even though it was of Indianapolis. So I have to make sure I'm using the right foundation so that I know exactly where I'm going. And so let me give you a thought, and and I think I I made a mistake here, and it didn't get put in your bulletin. That's my fault, but you might want to write it down. Navigating life, you're either going to follow the word, word of God, or not the world. Follow the word, not the world. If you want the right foundation for navigating life, You need to follow the word of God and not the world. See, the way of the righteous in verse 6 is they're following the word. The way of the world is they're not following the word of God. They're following the advice of the wicked. Let's go back to verse 1. Let's chomp through this real quickly. Verse 1. How happy is the man or woman who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the paths of sinners or join a group of mockers? Now, let's just unpack that word. A couple words here. Happy. Some versions, if you've memorized it in the old King James like I did, how blessed is the man. What does that mean? Where do we find happiness? Some people think they find it in fame, right? If I'm just famous, I'll be happy. In fact, I I, I read this week in one of my quiet times that Madonna, the famous singer of the 80s, um, early 90s, said that I won't be happy until I'm as famous as God. I don't think you're going to make it, Madonna. But when I looked on the internet, I I looked at famous celebrities that had committed suicide. It was a list of over 40. Here's a few of them. Robin Williams, probably the most recent, the most of us would know. Marilyn Monroe, Vincent Van Gogh, Ernest Hemingway. A lot of very famous people take their lives. So obviously, you can't just say, hey, if I get famous, I'm going to be happy. In fact, a lot of them are on record saying, hey, I, I got there, but it's just not what I thought it would be. Well, maybe it's money. I know a lot of us tend to think, well, if you have a lot of money, it's going to make you happiness. Now, somebody said it doesn't make you happy, but it sure helps, you know. But a lot of us think, hey, if I make a lot of money, I'll get happy. But it's interesting. I ran across a Time Magazine headline in 2012 and said this, why suicides are more common in richer neighborhoods. So it's not money that necessarily makes you happy. And yet the psalmist says, how happy is the person? So what does he mean by that? Let me just give you the biblical definition of happiness. It basically means to be at peace with God and yourself. To be at peace with God. Let me just kind of give you a a Jim paraphrase of that verse. A person who is at peace with God and himself or herself is the person who does not follow the advice of the wicked, does not take the path of the righteous, does not join a group of mockers. The person who's at peace with God and himself, they don't do these things. They don't do these things. Again, let me ask you a question. Which is better, going through life with peace or with regret? Peace, I would think, right? Which is better, going through life with peace or with fear? Peace. That's what I want. We want peace, right? I mean, that's the thing. We want peace. And again, I'm just being blunt. People who are at peace do not take their lives. They're at peace. People who are at peace are not in constant turmoil. I mean, if you're right now, if you're one of those persons that's just always like, you're not at peace. Why is that? 
I mean, I, I've noticed this. In fact, if you're on the internet or watch the news, we live in a day of rage. What you constantly hear is, I'm outraged. Have you ever met people that are just like never happy? I mean, they're just mad about something. It, it, it seems like to me that a prevailing attitude that I'm seeing in our world today is a lot of people are just mad all the time. And they're constantly offended. I mean, you can't do anything. They're just constantly mad. They're constantly offended. I don't want to be that way. I don't think you do. I want to be at peace with God, with myself. In other words, I want to be happy. So he says the person who is at peace with God and with himself or herself does not walk in the way of the wicked, does not take the advice of the wicked. Now let me qualify that. Who are the wicked? Well, the wicked are simply people who reject God. They ignore God. They, they forget about God. They don't want to have anything to do with God. They, they, they are, as you might say, ungodly people. They just don't want God. And, and so the writer here says, look, the person that's truly at peace with God and with himself is a person that doesn't follow the advice of the wicked. Because here's one thing I've learned about the advice of the wicked, those who just simply reject, ignore, and forget about God. They never deal with the cause. What I've noticed is they always try to deal with the symptoms. It's kind of interesting. I, I was doing uh, in, in some research for the sermon, um, and, and, and I just happened to, I was thinking about that because most of the time, the advice of the, those who just ignore and reject God they, or keep God at arm's distance or, yeah, he's way over there, but we're going to do our thing, they never talk about the cause, the root cause. It's always the symptoms. In fact, I, I, I googled how to be happy, and I found some websites. Here's one. Here's how they said this. Again, this is, this is people that are saying we don't need God. Here's how you be happy. Y'all ready? Because here it is. Here's the secret. Find a quiet place. Take 12 minutes in the morning and relax your mind. Participate in acts that encourage meditation. And again, the question is, what do I meditate on? They said, focus on your senses. Take a walk. Grow a green thumb. Commute quietly. That'll bring you happiness. Here's another one if that one didn't work for you. Because I gave five different methods. I'll give you a couple more. Remove distractions. Turn off your cell phone. Complete your unfinished task. Remove clutter and unplug the TV. And that will bring you happiness. Here, if that one didn't work for you, here's another one. Relax your body. Focus on breathing. Rest your eyes. Relax while you sit in a chair. Kneel or use a pillow. Sit cross-legged. That'll make you happy. Now, if that one doesn't work, let me give you one more. Concentrate on stillness. Become mindful. Practice conscious physical immobility. Perform yoga. Count backwards. Come back to the center. That will make you happy. Is that going to make you really happy? might make you fall asleep. But I don't think it's going to make you happy. But that's what you read. How do you find happiness? Just focus on yourself. Just relax. Put on some beautiful music. Well, you know, that might make me go to sleep. But it's not going to really make me at peace with myself. It's not going to make me at peace with God. 
Again, you watch Dr. Phil, you watch all those shows, and people are trying to find happiness. You're never going to hear Dr. Phil say, you know, at the root of your problem is you're rebellious against God. At the root of your problem is you have a rebellious heart like we all do, and you need to repent. You're never going to hear Dr. Phil say that. He's going to skirt around the edges and all these little periphery things, which all may not be bad. I'm not saying they're not, but they're never going to address the root of the problem. So the psalmist says how happy, the person who's at peace with God, peace with himself, peace with herself, doesn't follow that advice, doesn't follow the advice of those who reject God, ignore God, forget about God, the ungodly, the wicked. He doesn't follow that advice. Because, and he says that's not what it takes. Because here's what happens. And you notice there's a progressive. He doesn't follow the advice of the wicked. And here's what happens to a lot of people. They follow the advice. Oh, that sounds good, Dr. Phil. Oh, that sounds good. And then, notice, then he starts taking the path of sinners. In other words, after a while, they start walking down that road. Oh, yeah, 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 that sounds good. And ultimately, you end up joining the group of mockers. Oh, you people, you don't, you don't need to re- repent. Oh, come on, you know, just relax, just meditate and things like that. Listen, you're never going to be at peace with God and with yourself until you deal with the heart issue, until you deal with the cause issue. You'll never be. So I just want to say, if you get your advice from People Magazine or the National Enquirer or the Internet or the latest psychological study, you'll never find peace with God, just being honest. So how do you do this? All right, how happy is a person who doesn't do these things? So how do I navigate life? Well, here it is, verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So let me give you a foundation for your navigation. Navigate life using the word. Use the word and not the world. He says a person that, that, is, that is at peace with God navigates using God's word, the Lord's instruction. Now, when the psalmist wrote this psalm, all they had was the Old Testament. Now we have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. So following the advice of the word means that I don't follow the advice of the world. I don't go down the path of those who reject God. I don't become a part of the world of mockers. I, 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 I do this. Now, he says, here's what his attitude is. The attitude for navigation is you and I have to delight in God's word. Now that word delight is not a verb here. It's actually a noun in the original language. And it's, let, me, let me just kind of unpack it. What brings you a sense of delight? Maybe it's a warm, sunny day. Boy, I can't wait when that finally hits. I'm even happy when it's sunny outside right now. Okay, I'm like, woohoo, there's sun still in the world. That brings me, what brings you delight? Maybe it's a cup of hot coffee in the morning. You just say, oh, I love my coffee in the morning. Maybe it's your dog, possibly a cat, but maybe it's a dog. What brings you delight in the morning? Maybe it's cuddled up by a warm fire. You love to just get there in front of the fireplace and cuddle up in a warm fire. Maybe it's taking a nice long walk on a spring morning. Smelling that cold, crisp air. That just brings you a lot of delight. Maybe, maybe it's that smell of fresh baked cookies. It's like, oh, I love that smell. What, here's I, what is it that you delight in? Literally, it, the word delight here is a noun, which means basically what bring, that this person that is navigating towards God's word, God's word brings them great pleasure. It's like the dictionaries define the word delight. It's like little girls who squealed with delight. 
They just, oh, they smelled the cookies like, woohoo! And they just squealed with delight. Delight is something you relish. It's something that you find pleasure in. It's something that brings a smile to your face. It's something that excites you. It's something that makes you glad. So the person who navigates life using the Word of God does so because when they read the Word, it brings them delight. They relish it. They're, they're getting nourished by it. They make much delight for it. And here's the thing. When you and I delight in something, guess what we'll do? We'll make time for it. Right? We'll make time for it. We'll look forward to it. We'll think about it. We'll enjoy it. So let me give you the action. The noun was that he delights or she delights. They just relish God's instruction. The action, the verb here is they meditate on God's Word. Again, verse 2, it says this. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates, instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. What does it mean to meditate? It means to take a passage or a verse and to think about it. How do I live this out? What does this look like? It it means sometimes you struggle with those things and things like that. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to be honest. In order to meditate on the Word, you have to read it. In order to meditate on the Word, you need to listen to it. I mean, we have all sorts of, I have a phone app, I can play the Bible as I'm driving down the street and listen to it. You have to listen to it. You have to read it. You have to think. If you don't take the time to spend in God's Word outside of Sunday morning, you're never going to be a complete person. You've got to take time. And, And here's the thing. If you don't delight in it, you won't take time for it. If you don't relish it, you won't take time for it. And you're going to end up navigating the wrong way. So my question is, do you spend time in God's Word outside of church on Sunday morning? I Hopefully, everybody says yes. If you say yes, are you then meditating on it? Are you taking time to think about it? I get it. I've, done, I've been a Christian for 40 years plus, okay? I know it's easy to read the word, close it, and then just go on and never think about it again. But the person who navigates life successfully meditates on it. They think about it. As the psalmist said, day and night. How does this work? What does this look like? What is God saying? How do I apply this? And things like that. Because here's the thing. The person that's meditating on this, when the decisions come, it's top of mind. God's word is top of mind. It's, when they meditate on it, it's internalized. So when those temptations come, they're able to pull from the word of God. It is the light for them because they've internalized it. So again, it's not enough just to read the Bible, close it, and say, well, I did that for a day. No, 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 no. We need to meditate on it. Because here's the thing. When you and I are laying in bed at night and we're half asleep and we're thinking about things, we're either thinking about the advice of the world most of the time or the word. What are you thinking about at night? When you lay there in bed and things are quiet, what are you thinking about? What are you ruminating on? Is it the word or the world? And here's what happens. Verse 3. Here's what happens. Here's the outcome. When we use the word, first outcome, if you're doing that, if you're meditating on it, if you're delighting in it, it's stability. Look at verse 3. The person who meditates on God's word is like a tree. Have you ever ran into a tree full speed? Who wins? The tree. Have you ever been out in a field in a windstorm and you're getting blown around there's a tree out there? Guess what you're going to hold on to? The tree. The tree is strong. 
The tree is stable. You, you know, again, just to use a comparison, Dr. Blackwell, person who meditated on the Word of God for years, who lived it and applied it in his life, he was not a perfect man, just like all of us, sinner just like all of us, but he meditated and applied it. You know what? A lot of people, when facing the surgery that he was facing and knowing what, knowing what he knew as a medical doctor, there would be a lot of people freaked out. Oh, my gosh. I'm, ah! He's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's a win-win for me. That's the difference. Stable. Like I said, when Dr. Blackwell spoke, everybody listened. Person that meditates on the word. Strength. Why are trees so strong? They have roots. Right? Roots that go deep down into the soil. A person who meditates on God's word has roots that go deep. And so when the winds come of life, when the storms hit, they're able to stand those storms, to stay through those storms, to hold on to God through those storms because they have roots. This week, I was sharing this in Sunday school. I got a text yesterday uh, from family in the church I pastored and said, uh, can you call Heather and talk to her? Heather was a meth addict. Uh, and she came to know Christ through the recovery ministry that we had. Now, the usual recovery rate for meth addicts is like 6%. Heather was radically saved. Heather went from being a meth addict to radically changing her life for Christ going to church, getting involved. She went to school, became a nurse. She is now a nurse, had two little girls, and heavily involved in the recovery ministry, leader, strong woman of faith. She's one of those people that I look back on with great joy from, from that era. She was traveling back from the hospital, I think a couple weeks ago. This has actually happened a couple weeks ago. And a mother and daughter were trying to cross a four-lane road where they weren't supposed to be crossing. It's a freeway. And apparently they didn't stop in the medium. They thought they could make it. And Heather didn't see him, and she looked up, and she hit the daughter. Heather wasn't severely hurt. She went through the windshield, but Heather just had glass in her hand. But the girl is amazingly still alive, but in critical condition right now with lacerated spleen and, and liver, I believe. So I called Heather yesterday just for a moment and see how she was doing. And I, I brought it up. I said, Heather, you're not going to go back to the drugs, are you? She said, oh, no. No, I know those don't bring any joy. I know those aren't going to fix my situation. I'm going to stay with my brothers and sisters in the ministry and recovery ministry. And I'm, you know, I'm holding on to the Lord. She says, I don't know why. But she says, I know God will see me through this. That's a person who has grown roots. And even though she wakes up sometimes in the middle of the night seeing that image of that person flying through her windshield, and even though that is something, she's not going back to her old ways. Why? Because she grew roots. She's meditating on the Word day and night. Let me give you another thing. person that delights in the Word. He'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water. Another thing is satisfaction. Streams flowing. Constant nutrition. The Word of God constantly nourishes that person. It nourishes you for soul. Again, we live in a day of rage and people are so angry. You know why? Because their souls are dead. 
The person who is nourishing on God's word, their souls are alive. Here's another thing. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And here's what Psalm 92 talks about that. The righteous, that person who's walking the way of righteous, thrive like a palm tree and grow like a cedar tree in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they thrive in the courtyards of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, healthy and green. Why? Because that person is planted and rooted. Again, like my brother, Dr. Blackwell, still bearing tremendous fruit. Again, the last thing is security. If you go down to verse 6, it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That person who's meditating on the Word because they delight in the Word, God's watching over them, watches over the way of the righteous. They have that foundation for navigation. Now, real quickly, let's go to the opposite. So what about the person that says, oh, there is no God, or if there is a God, i got other things to worry about. It's all about me. I'm going to take care of myself. The ungodly. Well, real quickly, let me show you the outcome of navigating using the world. Not the word, but the world. First of all, meaninglessness. Let me give you verse 4. The wicked, those who deny, reject God, are not like this. Again, instead, look at what he says. They're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Now, I'm not a farmer, but uh, as I understand, it, they get the pitchfork, and they would throw the stuff up in the air, and the wind would blow the husks away. I watched a, a thing on YouTube the other day, Laura and I did, about how to make chocolate, where they actually split open the plant and one of the things they did was they had this fan blowing and while the thing ground it blew off the residue so that only the nibs fell in the thing well that's what the whole idea it's meaningless they don't want the residue they want the nibs they want that part of the chocolate right there that's what that's meaningless there's no meaning and here's the other thing verse five spiritual death for the wicked, look at verse 5. Therefore, here's the result of those who navigate by the world, those who deny God, those who reject God. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment. Here's the another result. And sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. In other words, separation from God for eternity, separation from the community of the righteous. Which do you want? I don't want a meaningless life. I don't want a life of spiritual separation. I want a life of nourishment, stability, strength, security. Don't you? Satisfaction. How does it happen? You've got to delight in the Word. And how do you show that you're delighting in it? You meditate on it day and night. So here's my question. What direction is your life going in? What is your foundation for navigation? If you want to go the way of the righteous, it first starts with addressing the cause. Repent. We're all sinners. We've all rebelled against God. It starts the way of righteousness says, Okay, God, I admit it. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against you. I get it. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is the Savior. Please save me. That's the very first start. Giving your heart and life to Christ. And then it continues by planning yourself in the word are you first of all do you know Christ as your savior if you don't it, it's it's not complicated but it's profound you have to be willing to say 
I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. Please save me. I put my faith and trust alone in Christ. It starts there. And then it continues with being in the Word. Start building that foundation. If you say, Jim, I, I am a believer, I know, then great. Are you meditating on the Word day and night? You say, sometimes I don't understand parts of it. Well, welcome to the club. Neither do I. But you know what? I meditate on it. How do, you know? And if I don't get it, I might read some other sources. You know, there's some things I don't quite understand. Nobody does. But I do know this. After reading this book for over 40 years, a lot of times things that I didn't think at the time, I just read it and I didn't think about, but later it hits me when I go through life. Continue to nourish on it. Continue to read on it. Continue to think about it. Continue to apply it. Question is, what is going to be your foundation for navigation? The Word or the world? Let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to pray if there's somebody watching on Facebook or somebody here in the worship center that has never bowed their knee, that they, they can't think of a time in their life when they bowed their knee and said, I admit I'm a sinner, I have sinned, I have rebelled against you, Father, you are a holy God, I need to be delivered from my sin, please save me, I give my heart and life to you, I want Christ to save me, I accept his death on my behalf. I pray if there's somebody here that's never done that, that they'll do it. I pray that they won't let pride stop them. Father, I pray that the evil one will be kept away, that they won't be giving excuses. Well, what will people think? doesn't matter. We, true believers will rejoice. We don't care who they are or what age they are. We're just going to be happy they're in the family. And Lord, for those who say, yes, I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am a follower of Jesus my challenge to them and to me is, are we meditating in God's Word? Are we delighting in it? Do we relish it? Do we love it? I pray that all of us, Father, will from this point forward live life built on the foundation of your Word. Navigate using your Word as our foundation. In our financial decisions, in our life decisions, in our time decisions, in all those decisions that we will be guided by your Word. So, Lord, maybe there's some here today that just, they're not spending time in your word. They're not reading it. They're not meditating on it. That right now, they'll just pray and say, Lord, I've not been that person, but I want to be. And starting today, I will meditate on your word. I will start making that a part of my day, throughout my day. So, Father, however you're working on our heart, I pray that we'll respond to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.